At this time last year, I made a fundamental shift in the way I do business. I decided to stop begging people. Most people in sales-driven industries don't call it begging. They don't like the negative connotations. What, what, what I was told when I got into real estate is that you need to spend two hours a day on the phone with your sphere of influence asking them for referrals. Begging, essentially. But we couldn't let them know we were begging. Oh, no. We had to be providing value, I say with air quotes. That's why they have scripts. So you can dupe your friends and family into listening to your sales pitch. So you can cleverly overcome their objections because you know that they really want to help you grow your business. I was made to feel guilty for not picking up the phone and calling you. I want to emphasize you because I suppose that only my friends and family read my blog and listen to the podcast. I was told that I must not want to be successful because I was not comfortable knocking on doors to solicit new clients. And on top of that, I was not having much success. So they must be right. God forbid that I should object to the tried and true methods of successful real estate agents. But let's be honest, I never call people. So why else would I be calling them now that I work in a sales-driven industry if not for selfish reasons? It seemed disingenuous. And even more so since I personally loathe getting unsolicited calls from people trying to sell me something. But I see it time and time again, even with friends of mine who get into the sales industry. They go from being normal people to people always finding ways to steer the conversation back to their exciting new business opportunity. A lot of people are put off by the way I talk about the sales industry, but I have to be honest with my perspective. Here's how I see it. I chose to get into this business. I chose to forgo a steady paycheck. You can find out why in episode one of the podcast. Why is that my friends or family's problem? Why should I be persistently asking them for referrals and making them feel guilty that I won't succeed without them? Is it their problem whether my business endeavors succeed or fail? I think this is a negative result of our crowdsourcing culture. I dealt with a similar thing when I was still in a band. I would watch other no-name artists beg their fans to fund their projects and throw out statements like, if we don't reach our goal in the next 12 hours, we won't be able to record the songs we wrote. I'm sorry, did I ask you to write songs and record them? No. Then why are you asking me to fund your dream? So many people would love to be able to get paid to do something they love, but they can't. If you can't fund your own dream, then maybe you should try improving at your craft and putting in the work instead of shortcutting the system by asking other people for money. Money that could be used for much more noble purposes than getting you a CD with your name on it that will probably only be heard by the people who sponsored its production. It just seems a bit illogical in my head, but it works. Not with me, but with countless others. And that's why people continue to do it. It works, unfortunately. And that's the thing with cold calling, door knocking, begging. It works. Just like those people who stand on the side of the road with signs begging for money. They do get people who will give them money. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. But there are also people who are paid by an employer to stand outside and hold signs for their business. 50% off, going out of business, everything must go. You know what I'm talking about. What's the difference between these two people? They're basically doing the same thing, right? But one is asking for a handout and the other is pointing people to something bigger than themselves. 
In the case of the latter person, the business has been established. The work has been done to get it off the ground. It provides value to people. And it's that sign holder's job to spread the word. And interestingly enough, no one considers those people as being beggars. No one's thinking ill of the business for asking for customers. Instead, the signs are there to attract the right kind of customer. People who understand the value being offered. I see myself more in the latter example. Instead of begging, sorry, asking people for a handout, I mean, sorry, a referral to help me grow my business, I'd rather point people to my business and show them how it is beneficial for them to work with me over others in the industry. And then it's up to them whether they want to use me or not. I set the table. I give them the menu. They can choose to order off of it or not. Instead of spending two hours a day calling people, how about spending that two hours building a platform that will help people in the community? For instance, a platform that gives money from every real estate transaction to help Habitat for Humanity, for example. That's what I do. I also help Together We Rise, which is a nonprofit organization that helps those in the foster care system. My global reach extends to Brazil. A friend of mine started a nonprofit that rescues people from sex trafficking, provides love to them, provides house for them. Instead of interrupting people and encroaching on their day by showing up on their doorstep unannounced, how about providing consistent content so that people get to know the real me at their convenience? That's why I have the podcast. That's why I write the blog. So that any time, day or night, people can find out all they need to know about me and whether they would like to do business with me. I let my content do the heavy lifting. I let the reflection of my character through my content advertise for me so that I don't have to. This also helps me weed out those who would never want to work with me. More importantly, people I never want to work with. I watch realtors everywhere chasing people down and wasting valuable time on people who will never be their clients. How about using your time to find ways to attract the right kind of people to you? So here I am, finding new and creative ways to point people to something bigger than me, to find people who value authenticity and generosity, people who want to use their real estate sale or purchase to help others have a safe place to call home. My business platform has been established. The work has been done to get it off the ground. It provides value to people, and it's my job to spread the word. Instead of begging, my hope is to attract people to me who think like I do and subtract those who don't. Now, this approach is controversial among a lot of people. People don't want to put in the work. People don't want to suffer the lean months that come from being polarizing. They want to be all things to all people. But you simply can't be if you value authenticity and generosity above everything else. One of the things that I strive to communicate to my clients is the importance of understanding the transaction from the opposing side. Now, I use that word not in an adversarial way, but simply because it's accurate. The sellers and buyers are at opposite ends of the settlement table. But one of my jobs is reminding people that regardless of whether they're buying or selling, everyone wants the same outcome. The seller's goal is to sell their home. The buyer's goal is to buy their home. The mortgage company wants to lend the money because that means collecting fees and interest, which keeps them in business. The agents want the home to change hands because that means their bills get paid and their family can eat for a few more weeks. 
Everyone wants the same thing, though sometimes it may seem that no one does. In our society, we've put far too much emphasis on being right or winning an argument. Now, one of my core values is to do what is right before what is profitable. Notice that I didn't say to be right. Believe me, being right would be a lot easier than doing what is right. As the old adage says, sometimes the hard thing and the right thing are the same thing. The seller who decides that winning the negotiation is more important than selling their home will be setting themselves up for one of the most stressful, unpleasant experiences of their entire life. I'm baffled that sellers are so easily offended when trying to sell their home that they forget the main objective, which is to sell their home. I can usually recognize the telltale signs, which, if I'm being honest, can easily be mistaken for a child being offended on the playground and subsequently taking their ball and going home. I've watched in horror as sellers go out of their way to sabotage the sale of their home for no other reason than wanting to put one over on the buyer and get the better end of the deal. This is why it's so important that sellers remember that once upon a time, not so long ago, apologies to Bon Jovi, they too were buyers. Sellers often balk at the idea of having to foot the bill for both sides of the agent's commission, conveniently forgetting that when they bought the home, they didn't pay a realtor to help them. The seller did. They also don't expect to have to do any repairs to the home because they lived in it just fine. The funny thing is, if the seller didn't spend money to keep their home in above average condition during all of the years that they lived there, then why do they think that the buyer should foot that bill? More importantly, why are they offended that someone offers less than asking price and then has a list of repairs they would like to have done? The money will be spent, whether it's over time, through home improvement projects, or when it comes time to sell. Wouldn't you rather enjoy those improvements while you still live there? Instead of fixing everything for someone else to enjoy? Sellers, put yourself in the buyer's shoes. Now don't worry, I also give the same advice to buyers, and maybe I'll talk about that on a future podcast. Imagine what it would have been like if you found your dream home, and the homeowner was being difficult or unreasonable in their take-it-or-leave-it stance to negotiations. It would be hard and would no doubt taint the entire home buying process. Now, you may have purchased your home under negative circumstances, and you personally dealt with a very difficult homeowner who tried to stonewall you every step of the way. I'm sorry for that. I truly am. But you can break that cycle by not using the emotions of that experience to cloud your judgment now that you sit in the seat of homeowner. The person who will want to buy your home doesn't deserve the same treatment you received, just as you didn't deserve it when it happened to you all those years ago. As you may prepare to sell your home in the future, I implore you to seriously consider the transaction from both sides. What are some things that would concern you as a buyer? Are there any wonky workarounds that you've lived with for years that may be in need of repair? Would you want to pay more for a home than the data shows it is worth? All of these questions need to be asked before your home hits the market. That way, you price your home accurately, market it truthfully, and attract a like-minded buyer who wants to make this transaction as smooth as possible. I truly believe that we can make a difference in real estate by being authentic and generous in the midst of a superficial and self-centered industry. Instead of trying to win a negotiation, it's time for current and future homeowners to seek a win-win solution so that we can be better people and better neighbors, working together to build a better community and hopefully a better world. 
Now, at this point, you may be ready to turn off the podcast because this isn't what you wanted to hear. You may also be ready to find another person to listen to about your real estate needs. A real shark, a strong negotiator who takes no prisoners. Believe me, there are plenty of those people out there, and there are plenty of other podcasts that will tell you the same old garbage about real estate. And they are perfectly content to burn bridges and leave a trail of bloodied victims in their wake. I, on the other hand, prefer to build bridges. For me, this industry is not about transactions, numbers, commission, and making a name for myself. It's about people, relationships, building a community, and leaving a legacy. Now, I know this approach may seem hopelessly optimistic and even a little naive, but I don't care. I believe it's the right thing to do. Because I'd rather leave a little profit on the table if it means inviting more people to the table of home ownership and helping others fulfill their lifelong dream of owning a home. Now, you may know that I despise the harassment that occurs in sales culture, but I recognize that I can sometimes swing the pendulum too far in the other direction. It's one thing to be calling your friends and family every two weeks asking for referrals, which is something that many real estate coaches and gurus advise agents to do. And quite another to sit idly by and imagine that business will magically float your way. Ultimately, it's the real estate business that drives and funds these crazy pursuits of mine. So I ask you to consider sharing my info with a friend or family member who may be considering buying or selling real estate in the next 6 to 12 months. There, I did it. I asked for the business, and now I need to go take a shower. I don't always talk about real estate, even though that is how I make my living. But every so often, something happens that I feel obligated to talk about in an effort to hopefully distance myself from the deceptive behaviors I see on a regular basis in the real estate industry. Right now, real estate inventory is incredibly low, which means demand outweighs supply. It's good news if you're in the market to sell your home. Not so good news if you're in the market to buy. For instance, we were outbid three different times on homes before we finally found one who would accept our offer. And even then, after the house was on the market for over three months, when it came time for us to make an offer, suddenly, as if by magic, the mysterious other offer reared its ugly head. I talk about this with my clients all the time. There's always another offer, quote unquote. I put that in quotes because I have a hard time believing that agents are always telling the truth. It doesn't matter if the home has been on the market for six months and was once a crime scene. Suddenly, people are coming out of the termite-infested woodwork to put in an offer over and above asking price the minute my clients are interested. Now, most agents would not call this lying. They say they're fighting it the most for their client, which is their job. But I say they're fighting dirty. Now, before I continue, let me just say I'm not talking about brand new listings that are jaw-dropping and have everything and appeal to the masses. Of course, those homes are going to go fast and get multiple offers in this current seller's market. What I'm talking about are those quirky properties that have been sitting for a while and that need some work. When agents see homes getting snatched up quickly, they see it as an opportunity to manufacture scarcity in every situation. But let's be honest, not every home is for everybody. There are those homes that will sit on the market regardless of how few homes are in direct competition. The fact of the matter is that pricing is going up and people are trying to outrun those trends. They're trying to cash in on the slight increase immediately without allowing the market to catch up. 
The problem with trying to bend the truth for your client is that every so often it may hurt them and not help them. Take this example. A buyer brings the best offer they can to the table. But since it's a seller's market, you decide to manufacture a little competition in the hopes of getting more money for your client. So you go back to the potential buyer and tell them that they need to bring their highest and best offer to the table because you have other offers. The buyer knows they can't do any better. So rather than getting into a bidding war, they simply walk away. It happens and it makes me angry. I recently learned of another trick some agents use. This line of thinking never even crossed my mind, and I'm glad because it gives me some hope that I still have some honesty in me. The trick goes like this. You have a listing that is under contract for well over asking price. The issue then becomes whether the home will appraise for the sale price. Some agents will update the price on the listing in hopes that the appraiser will not notice how far over asking price is going. They're basically counting on someone not doing their job well in order to eke a few more dollars out of the deal for their client. I was flabbergasted at this practice, but apparently it's pretty common. Now, I ask you, when did telling the truth become a poor negotiating strategy? I previously talked about this on the podcast in episode 36. The episode was called Truth Hurts. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you're interested in my thoughts on truth in real estate. I was hoping to shine a light on some of the deceptive practices that agents use in order to get clients, like promising a higher sale price than other agents so that they'll sign on the dotted line. Other agents use the strategy of offering to buy the home themselves if they don't sell it. They may buy the home, but for well below market value, and it'll be a nightmare. Now, before I continue, I'm not saying that I always price homes right. For instance, I have the listing on the market right now. We just had to lower the price. Pricing a home is not an exact science, but you need to use the data available in order to determine a price and course correct if you've missed the mark. Some people who can't go above asking price are now waiving their right to get a home inspection in order to have their offer moved to the front of the line. Now I ask you, is that in the best interest of the consumer? Of course not. But the listing agents don't care. They're getting the best deal for their client, period. It's the buyer's problem and his agent if the home has unknown issues. But I'm here to say it's not right. I get frustrated when I scrape and claw for every client I work with only to be done in by the unethical behavior of my competitors. That's why authenticity and generosity are the two pillars of my business. It may make business growth slower, and I'm sure it has. But ultimately, I'd rather be kept awake at night because of a lack of clients rather than a lack of morals. A lot of people wonder why I spend so much time creating content, such as this podcast, Discover Spring Ford, and why I don't spend more time doing the things that the average real estate agent does. Things like calling everyone in my contacts list every two weeks, asking if they know anyone who is buying or selling a home. Or maybe calling expired listing lists, hounding for sale by owners knocking on doors, handing out business cards, buying crappy leads from Zillow and Realtor.com. These practices work, or at least have worked, for years. The reason is that I'm trying to think five to ten steps ahead of the average real estate agent. That's why I don't study or model myself after successful real estate agents. 
because most of them became successful doing things that worked 10 years ago, before things like Airbnb and Uber were disrupting their respective industries. Many of them will gladly pay $250 to $1,000 a month for some cookie-cutter marketing system or lead generation tool. I guess it's easier to throw money at trendy platforms that someone else built than actually build something yourself from the ground up. Instead, I've chosen to study entrepreneurs, people who have built businesses from scratch, businesses that thrive and seem impervious to the pain of a market downturn, businesses that create multiple income streams, businesses with integrated platforms. That's what I've been up to for the last two years, reading, studying, formulating a plan. Has my business boomed during that time? Hardly. In fact, it's probably taken a step back because I've invested so much of my time and energy creating content and learning how to build a business. Ultimately, it's because I see the writing on the wall. I'm not naive enough to think that real estate agents will continue to make money the way they always have. Commission dollars are shrinking because agents are finding it harder and harder to prove their value to clients who can easily search homes online. Opportunities are fewer and fewer as more and more inept people flock to the real estate industry hoping to make a quick buck. And as direct-to-consumer platforms continue to gain traction, you're fooling yourself if you think the real estate industry is not in their crosshairs. If I want to still be able to support my family five years from now, I can't ignore the overwhelming evidence that shows that my way of making a living today may not even exist 10 years from now. You're probably thinking that I'm an alarmist or that I'm preaching a doomsday message. But think about it. Netflix made it possible for people to cut the cord. Cable companies are now scattering, trying to create new ways to save the Titanic. But they're really just rearranging the deck chairs while the ship continues to sink. Uber made it possible for passengers to essentially have a personal valet service in the palm of their hand, effectively eliminating the taxicab industry. Amazon crushed borders and many of its direct competitors, while also successfully expanding and dominating the field across a plethora of industries. These days, most people only go to retail stores to window shop so that they can buy the item for less on Amazon on their smartphones before they even leave the store. Airbnb has made it possible for you to rent a home for your vacation directly from the homeowner without the need of a travel agent or having to pay for an overcrowded hotel. The next logical step is for real estate transactions to be handled directly between home buyers and home sellers with maybe just a transaction coordinator, either a real person or computer platform, handling the legal documentation for a flat fee. I'm convinced that the real estate agent will someday go the way of the taxi driver, bookstore, and travel agent. Whether by Zillow or Redfin becoming the Uber slash Airbnb of real estate, or some other platform disrupting the industry. The sad and sort of funny thing is that most agents pay Zillow and Realtor.com hundreds of dollars a month for leads. The way it works is that you can pay to become the local preferred agent for a given zip code. The prospective home buyer or seller goes on Zillow and is browsing homes in a certain zip code. If you want more information on a specific property and you don't specifically request to speak with the listing agent, then the local preferred agent gets your inquiry and bada bing, a new lead. I recently got a price quote just out of curiosity. 
and the average cost per month is between four and five hundred dollars for a zip code. So essentially, Zillow is taking the leads that are rightfully the listing agents and selling them to other agents at a premium. That's how their business is run. You, the front end user of this platform, don't know this. So you think you're speaking to someone who actually is working with the property. Because of this system, any agent who decides to pay these astronomical amounts of money a month for garbage leads coming from virtual window shoppers are ultimately funding their own demise. Not only are agents shelling out big bucks, they are wasting time chasing leads that have not been properly qualified or vetted and really have no loyalty or established relationship to the agent. People ask me why I don't follow the models of successful agents. Most agents will balk at this and say, but all it takes is one deal to close and it pays for itself. That's what you've been told by real estate trainers and probably by Zillow's market salespeople. But that is not how you run a successful business. If your new customer acquisition cost is the price of one real estate commission check, then you are never going to survive. And this is the fundamental reason why I study business owners and operators and not other real estate agents. There's simply no long-term plan for the average real estate agent. It's merely churning and burning through your friends and family for that next lead. So while agents complain about Zillow and Redfin cutting in on their turf, they continue to allow them to dictate the terms. So much so that they're basically helping to build the business whose main objective is to put the agent out of business. And for those who are really upset about it, instead of finding new ways to innovate and build an integrated business platform, they sign petitions trying to get the government to stop better built businesses from prospering at their expense. If you're going to make your living in the market, then you will most likely die by the market. You can't spend years benefiting from presenting yourself as the better option among your competitors and then complain when someone or something else comes along that does it better than you. That's why I'm trying to differentiate from the competition so that when the you-know-what hits the fan in the real estate industry, I'm not reaching for the baby wipes. When you get right down to it, I'd rather spend the money I make on furthering my own reach than by putting money in the pockets of the shareholders of the company that's trying to make my job obsolete. This has been more of a business focus on the Acting Realtor podcast. And I hope that if you know somebody who's working in the real estate industry, that you share this truth bomb with them. I think it will really help them. They, it might be a bitter pill to swallow at first, but if they can see the facts for what they are, I think it'll help them save their business. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you like what you're hearing on this show, I encourage you to leave a comment on iTunes. You can leave us a review so that more and more people who have a dream job that they're pursuing on top of trying to still be successful in their day job can find this message and hopefully be encouraged that there are other people just like them out there trying to have it all, <laughs> in quotes. Thanks a lot for listening to the Acting Realtor podcast. You can get in touch with me if you would like to leave a comment. Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, at actingrealtor.com. I encourage you to go to actingrealtor.com. If you check out my blog, you will see that I recently launched a vlog, a video blog called Acting Realtor TV. 
You can see what it's like for me as I try to support my family through real estate, through various income streams, while also pursuing my dream of acting full time. Until next time, I encourage you to get out there, chase your dreams, but keep your feet firmly planted on the ground. Godspeed.